Hey, this is Ellie Einhorn. Welcome to the TalkHouse podcast. Today, our guests on the show are Chef Vivian Howard and filmmaker Cynthia Hill, both of the Peabody and Emmy Award-winning PBS docuseries, A Chef's Life. Regular TalkHouse listeners will know we've had some chefs joining in the conversation recently, like Andrew Carmelini, who spoke with ASAP Ferg. So we're really excited to have Vivian Howard on the podcast and to have her speak with her longtime friend and business partner, filmmaker Cynthia Hill. Vivian and Cynthia grew up together in rural North Carolina. They both left home to follow their passions, but both eventually came back to their home state, which is where their respective careers finally began to blossom. Cynthia found her niche as a storyteller on film, and Vivian broke through with her restaurant, Chef and the Farmer. The two decided to combine their talents to create a food documentary, which would eventually become the show A Chef's Life. As the Washington Post wrote, the whole point of A Chef's Life is to showcase the people and traditions of Eastern North Carolina, not some version of them gussied up for TV. The show premiered on PBS in 2013 and has built a large and dedicated following. In their conversation, Vivian and Cynthia talk about their approaches to both filmmaking and cooking, the apolitical nature of food, and balancing their lifelong friendship with their newfound business partnership. Check it out. Okay, so we just get to chat with each other. Yeah. Should we distinguish who's who? Uh, You or Cynthia. And you're Vivian. I'm Vivian. (laughs) And we uh, make a show called A Chef's Life. And Cynthia's the director, and I'm the chef-like person. Chef-like. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, you, you can wear the chef hat okay. legitimately. And we just finished our uh, fifth season of the show, of the show that no one thought there would be any seasons of. And I know, and I think it's really kind of poignant that we're doing this podcast or conversation today because we just delivered the last episode of the fifth season about an hour ago. So it's a huge milestone for us to have accomplished that. I would say cheers if we had a cocktail. Cheers. So I don't know, how do you feel after all this? I mean, it's kind of huge. Um, I don't know. I feel like the last five years have gone really fast. Mm-hmm. And this season feels really different than all the others in that, you know, we didn't finish filming a season and then just film another one. You know, the future of the show's kind of up in the air. Um, So it feels uh, bittersweet in a kind of weird way. Yeah, I agree. And it it doesn't feel like the end, but it does sort of feel like some sort of ending. It does. It feels like... like a fork in the road almost. Yeah. I felt really comfortable in the format that we had for five seasons. I mean, it took us a while to kind of settle in and figure out how to make an episode, but um, we got really good at it. So this notion that we're going to do something different, even though the difference is going to be exciting and challenging, um, I'm a little scared of it. I know you are. <laughs> We've been a, having this conversation not on a podcast for about a year now. <laughs> it is true. It is true. And I think, you know, we produce, if you will, different parts of the show, you know, and the show is a reflection of my professional and personal journey. And over the last five years, my professional journey has completely transformed 
and my professional interests have also evolved, and I'd like to have the series reflect that. And I need you to figure out how to make that a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, easy done. No, I mean, it, it's. I think that that's also why it scares me, just because I know how difficult it is. And when we first started six years ago, really making the show, neither one of us knew how difficult it was. And so that naivety gave us the permission to jump off into the deep end with no sign of a life preserver. Um, I don't know if it might be useful to maybe talk a little bit about the origin story, just so that anybody who may be listening who doesn't know the show could get a better grasp of what it is that we're doing. Well, so um, Cynthia and I both grew up in rural eastern North Carolina, um, surrounded by tobacco. And I moved away, came back, opened a restaurant. In the uh, middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. and High-end restaurant, by the way. Yeah. In Na- the middle of nowhere. Talk about naivete. <laughs> <laughs> and about four years into running it, I got super obsessed with um, food traditions and particularly food traditions that were dying. And I decided... I wanted to make a documentary about that. And Cynthia is a filmmaker who made this film called Tobacco Money Feeds My Family. And it represented the people of Eastern North Carolina um, as people and not, you know, like mystical fairies or bumbling idiots, which is how most rural people are portrayed um, in media. Are you like to say chewing on your toenails? Yes. <laughs> Thanks. I've said that a few times on stage recently and it did not get a warm uh, reception. So I've. It, You've was, stopped. I was taking it out of my my um, sayings, but thank you. No, you should keep that one. <laughs> and so my husband suggested I call Cynthia, and I did like several months after he suggested it, and I hoped that she wouldn't answer, and she did answer. <laughs> um, and then I'll let you take it from there. And then we made a TV show. Uh, it It took us a little while to, I think, kind of, hone in on what it is that we wanted to do, but we wanted to document these foodways and traditions and honor the agrarian past and present. And for me, it felt like your story, Vivian, was the perfect vehicle for that. And I don't think that you initially thought that you were going to be in the show, but it definitely felt like what you were doing with the restaurant, with taking the the local ingredients and honoring the dishes of our youth and and the region and then transforming them into something very tasty and amazing in this restaurant was a really interesting way to tell the story of of our food and and our history and and what currently was going on in our home and it um and you thought I was crazy and I thought well I thought you were crazy for opening the restaurant for sure because like I mean it, it seemed like that town was dying. Kinston, we were all fleeing, and you came back. You know, I came back to Durham. That was close enough to Pink Hill and Deep Run and Kinston as I wanted to get, and that's two hours away. So I thought you were crazy and brave all at the same time. And I didn't really know. I honestly didn't have a clue as to how smart and how accomplished you were. 
And I think that... Um, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, you were getting some recognition, but not the, the type that you deserved. And so it's nice to see that you're getting that now, you know, through all, all these different projects, you know, including the show, but, you know, especially the book and stuff that you've been doing, you know, really highlighting what it is that you know and, and how smart you are. Well, I think that um, we both recognize that from a place like Eastern North Carolina that's rural and there's been this massive brain drain and everyone who lives there kind of apologizes for still being there, I think we both recognize that it's really hard to be heard from a place like that. You know, um, and I felt, I certainly felt like with the restaurant that I was doing and cooking food as good as people in Charleston or Atlanta, but I knew that I was never going to be heard. No, not the way that you should be heard, for sure. I I feel like you would have arrived to where you are, but I think it may have taken you a lot longer without a, a TV show that puts you in front of, you know, people every week, for sure. But you, you definitely would have arrived there. But that's the thing that I'm so proud of with the show is that we have taken this place and the people of that place and put them on a national stage and, like, allowed people in urban areas and um, people who grew up in rural America and now live somewhere else, allowed them to connect to the people of our region. And that makes me—doesn't that make you proud? It does make me proud, and it, um, it sort of uh, justifies also our stubborn determination, whatever you want to call it, that we had to begin with to really get this out there when there were tons of voices that said that this is not going to work. Nobody, one, knows who Vivian is, you know, that food of that region, it's not, you know, people are not I- interested in it. You know, is it a documentary? Is it a cooking show? Is it reality? It's not programmable. All those things that we heard early on were things that if we had internalized that, we probably wouldn't have proceeded. We did internalize it. (laughs) We we were like, fuck you. (laughs) It's true. But we come out fighting stronger, I feel like, because of that. I, I joke that. You tell either one of us that we can't do something, and then by God, we will be doing it. Yes. So that's part of my problem these days. Is so many people believe in me, I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you have to operate from some some place of like fighting to, or at least that's how it's felt for so long. That once things get a tiny bit easier, it's like, what are you fighting right. for anymore? I definitely am someone who needs a whale to chase or someone to prove wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'm currently searching for a whale. Y- your mama. Yeah, my mom, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> oh, yes. Bless my heart. <laughs> no, I, I joke. Your parents have been our hugest supporters from the get-go. They really have been. Yeah, I think they were the only ones who actually believed in us. My dad believed in us so much that he didn't um, loan us any money. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you'll be fine. (laughs) I'm sure somebody else will invest in this show. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have, you got it, you got it. (laughs) So season five, what was it like for you, Cynthia? You know, I I had written a 
cookbook, and we kind of knew that the the narrative of, of season five was going to be that cookbook. And the book tour. And the book tour coming out. Yeah. And that takes us on the road. Yeah. I think what's been fun and interesting for me as a filmmaker with the show is being able to see out a year from where we are what is going to happen in your life because you kind of have an idea. You're opening this restaurant, you're writing this book, you're doing a book tour. So it's allowed us to frame a season with its with a seasonal arc as well. So it's not just narratives just for the episode. And I think that that has been fun for me and also for our our editor, our series editor, Tom Vickers, to, to think about that holistically and what we can accomplish by the, the end of a, a season. But um, I think for me, it's always a pleasant surprise by the end of editing a season that we did it again because I'm wondering each time, can we repeat it? Because it seems like they keep getting better. When is that going to plateau and when are we going to lose that spark or when is it going to feel stale? So this season I was a little bit concerned about that or maybe a lot. I was so concerned I haven't watched any of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good. The season's really good and I'm proud of it. And it's, it's, I think also what makes it interesting is because your life has changed, you know, it hasn't been stagnant and seeing you evolve and, and seeing how you've grown professionally, seeing the things around you transform and, and what are you going to do next? It's provided this really interesting framework to tell the story you know, of the ingredients, just in case people don't know. Each episode of A Chef's Life is framed around a, a different ingredient. And so it's allowed us to go through 60 Southern ingredients. <laughs> We're out of ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> so therefore the need to change it up. Um, but it's having that framework of, you know, your life and what's going on in the restaurant and Ben and the kids and now new restaurants and a book and a book tour and an assistant and all these different storylines and all these new and different characters and repeat characters that come in and and we get to, to see how they evolve as well has been really exciting and it's been something that is you know, a true longitudinal documentary style of filmmaking that I think very few filmmakers have had the luxury to have access to. And, you know, we've been doing it now for six years. So, yeah. And, you know, um, I think the closest thing I've seen to what we've done is that movie Boyhood. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take that. (laughs) I mean, I don't... Just the fact that you actually see this person over a period of time kind of evolve and transform and it doesn't feel uh, like the filmmaker dropped in for one week um, and then came back the next year for a week. Yeah, because we didn't. Because we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's the nice thing about it is we live so close that we can show up for those moments and... We joke that we have filmed every single holiday, one every year or two every year with your family. Every holiday that is celebrated, we have spent together filming. filming. And when I tell people that, I'm like, I mean, they were there on Christmas morning when we're in our pajamas eating sausage biscuits. Yeah, we were there. (laughs) And and 
I mean, people just can't believe that. We didn't fake Christmas. No, we did not. <laughs> we did not. <laughs> we have faked one or two things, but um, maybe a telephone call here or there. But I, it has all been in the moment and real. Even, you know, um, I spent, I think the number of years gets more every time I talk about it, but about three years working on this cookbook. <laughs> and that's 12 years. 12 years. <laughs> and, you know, it's, so it's been a, um, a storyline for more than one season. And so when I was getting um, in the mail the first copy of the book, I told Cynthia that, and she's like, don't open the box. You better not open that Until box. I get there. And, you know, I... You were like, you better get here quick. I, right. <laughs> I mean, I've spent, you know, three years working on this book, and I have so much emotion and everything wrapped up in it, and the box is sitting there in front of me, and I'm waiting on her uh, yeah, be to, there in two hours. to drive from Durham <laughs> to open it. And... um. But I'm so glad I did because I thought when I opened the box that it would just, I would have to put on some kind of emotion. Um, and what happened was like, I just exploded. You did. You did. Well, I mean, you know, everything that you had put into that book and not even just that book, your whole career, I felt like you opened it up when you opened that box and you saw it staring back at you for the very first time. And I think you finally realized what you have done. Yeah, what had happened. Yeah. And that was such an amazing moment to witness. I saw it. I ha- as I said, I haven't watched the episodes, but there was a um, a trailer that's out on the interwebs <laughs> that I ran into. And I think it's only like 30 seconds. So and it's, maybe yeah, it's three minutes. It's season five. It's a series of hot mess Vivian is what it <laughs> looks like. <laughs> um, it is. It is. And one of the, the uh, screen shots or moments is me opening that um, box and boohooing. Yeah. And um, that made me that made me smile actually. Oh good. But then the the workout part after that, that <laughs> that made me really not want to watch that episode. You look good. I don't know what you're talking about. One of the things that happens in season five is we go on this book tour, both my assistant and I put on a fair amount of weight. Um or I'd probably put it on before the book tour, but I'm going to blame the book tour. <laughs> and when we get back, we decide that we're going to get a trainer. And so we have a trainer that comes to my office three times a week. And because I'm a glutton for punishment and I believe in um, being vulnerable and, and sharing what's actually going on in my life, I let them film. And of course, like every good documentary filmmaker, you're going to want to film that. Yes. Yes. So they filmed one of our little uh, kickboxing classes and it's in the trailer too. Hot mess, Vivian. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that was in the trailer. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, that's what's nice about this show too is it's unexpected. You know, it's, it's about food, but it's not really about food all at the same time. You know, it's about people and a place and uh, a journey. And I think that's what makes it special. And I I think that's also why people gravitate to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that, um, you know, we used to get this question a lot, like, what was your plan? How did you know how to do this? And the fact is, is that we didn't have any plan. (laughs) And I had not had my picture made in like 10 years before we started making the show. And I 
You show up in your maternity I dress. I was still and wearing, you were, and you were not pregnant yes, anymore. <laughs> yes, and I, yes, I was not pregnant in a maternity dress. And Cynthia had never watched any food television, so I think the fact that neither one of us knew much about the genre allowed us to do something really out of the box. Yeah. And the fact that I didn't know what I looked like allowed me to be very... Uh, natural. Natural. <laughs> <laughs> I remember after you watched that, you said, is there a line item for makeup? <laughs> right. And then after the first season, I remember um, after I saw it and saw myself from all angles, um, I was like, I'm going to look better and I'm going to put on makeup and I'm going to get somebody to help me dress. And then I just didn't. I don't know. <laughs> I just didn't have time. That's hard. That's, that's a lot of work. So, Cynthia, what do you think is next for us? Well, if the news we got this week from PBS stays true, it looks like we might be doing a primetime version of the show and going from half hour to an hour. So we'll keep our fingers crossed and not talk about it way too much so that we don't jinx it. But um, it would be really exciting to have something that ends up sort of on the main schedule on PBS. And, you know, we have a pretty loyal following. But it will be nice to be able to try something different. And, and see um, if that makes a difference. Because we've talked about that for years, you know. Yeah, if only if we could be prime time. If only it's on the main schedule. Then, Hard feed. And then then all of our prayers would be answered. Then we'll want something else. Absolutely. I already know. <laughs> I, I already want something else. <laughs> no, I think it's exciting, though. For me, it's going to be a real challenge. And going from a 30-minute, half-hour show, which is 24 minutes, to a f- hour, which is 54 minutes, it's more than double what we've been doing. And so trying to make sure that the, the energy and the pacing is there and the first couple will be I'll I'll be a nervous wreck for sure. Well, I'm used to that. Me being a nervous wreck? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> so I wanna know for you what's been the best part of making the show? Mm. I'd say the best part for me has been going back home and really honoring where I came from. I'd say that's to me has been the best part, and you know I frequently think about my grandma and being in her in her kitchen, and and uh, so that to me feels like you know I'm always going home when I make the show and and seeing it come to life and and sending them off to broadcast and having other people watch it. I know she'd be really proud of that. So I'd say that part for sure. How about you? Um, it's going to be as well. It's going to. I have something I want to say, but I feel like it's going to sound self-centered. Just um, say it. Just say but it. But the show's given me a lot of self-esteem. Yeah, I've seen you grow. And a lot. before the show, I just had very little. And you've found your voice. You really have. And I'm just. I'm really grateful for that. So, but there's a lot of other things. You know, I set out to honor the traditions and the culture of Eastern North Carolina, and it feels good to have done that um, in a way that makes the people of Eastern North Carolina feel good. Yeah, I agree with that. And we packaged it in a way where it does have a have the appeal, and people 
enjoy watching it and they come back and search for it. And that really, I think, is about you and your ability to connect with people. And I watch you when we when we walk through the airport or we're somewhere and people come up and I know that they feel like they know you just because you are so uh, vulnerable on the show. You are so real. And I feel like people, I mean, they feel like they connect with you because of that. And allowing yourself to be that vulnerable is awfully brave of you. Or naive. Well, that too. But you, know, you can't say you're naive after five years, I think, maybe. No, but I see, actually, I see the power in allowing myself to be vulnerable. Um, yeah. I see that that is not something you see often. No, people perform. Yeah. and And then it feels fake. You know, it just feels more like entertainment. And I don't feel like that's what you do or that's what we do. No. And part of being able to show that vulnerability is is having, um, you know, we film things that are actually happening. So there are successes and failures. And we see you at your best, and you're not so best, right? <laughs> um, and I, you know, you let us into that world all the time when you know you may be failing at something. Oh, and it's so painful and. Over the years, you know, when I was failing, like I would be working on a dish and they're filming it. And I knew that the denouement of this was to be me putting this dish on the menu and the servers liking it and then people eating it. But the dish is not working. And they're like in front of me with their cameras. And I'm like, why don't you take a break? And they take a break, but and then I go to my hiding place and I taste the thing. And then over the years, they figure out where my hiding place is, <laughs> and they're not really taking a break anymore. And we're following you to that <laughs> hiding place. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh! Um, but that's part of it. That's part of, I think, too. What is really special about this show is that we showed what it's really like to run a restaurant mm-hmm. and to work in a kitchen and to work with your spouse and to raise a family, all those things, which I think that audiences never really see that, you know, really unfolding in front of them like that. No, you're you're absolutely right. And the, the restaurant piece and the working with your spouse piece, you know, I think if, if Ben or I had known what that was going to look and feel like... You would have said no. We would have said no. But... <laughs> but you didn't But know. we didn't. <laughs> Ben and I don't really argue much on the show anymore, mostly because we don't work together. <laughs> but that helps. Um, in the beginning, those confrontations that y'all captured, you could tell they were real because we just had this look of, I can't help myself right now. Yeah. Um, and I think people can relate to that. All of us can. You know, we say things in the moment that we wish we hadn't said and... And yeah. then it's on camera. And then it's on TV. <laughs> and then four million people see it. For for the whole five years, I've been saying things on camera and th- and thinking, well, I'll ask them to take that out later. And then by the end of it, I've never... Well, you've probably forgotten. I've forgotten. And yeah. it clearly wasn't that important or I wouldn't have said it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's been your biggest challenge with making the show? Oh, man. Um... Can I say mine? Yeah. Fundraising. Fundraising. Oh, yeah. That's... Money. That's the hardest, for sure. Each year, I mean, we start from an empty 
barrel and have to fill it back up again. And that's not pleasant. And also, like, operating in a way, you know, like, I'm a chef. I know they're chefs. If I have a question about, you know, where do they source this particular item or how much does this cost, I call a chef. Yeah. You know, we're doing something that other people are doing, but we're not part of a community of people doing it. Does that make sense? So we never have anyone to ask, you know, like. Tell me how to do this. Right. You know, and so I feel like that's been a reoccurring conversation. I feel like we, we've had to reinvent the wheel and the car and the wagon from that we're trying to drag along behind us. And we frequently do that each season. And it's that part is daunting. I keep thinking it's going to get easier. And it doesn't get easier. That part doesn't. No, no. Um, but I... But then whenever I tell people about that part of it, they're like, why don't you just go do it somewhere else where you don't have to fundraise? But the beauty of PBS is that we We get to do what we want to do. Right. We can make a show like this about a place that... That has no genre. (laughs) Right. That no one was interested in before. That's Uh, maybe a food show, maybe a documentary, maybe reality, maybe it's none. And they were willing to go along with that idea. And as much as the fundraising is super sucky, the positives, at least thus far, have outweighed the negatives. I agree with that. I agree with that for sure. At least thus far. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to admit, though, working on that, that last project I worked on about NASCAR, it was nice getting a check. I bet. And, and then not having to... Uh, Worry about deli- um, promoting it, promoting it, and sponsor deliverables. Yeah, that's true. We're not complaining. Any sponsors who are listening, <laughs> we love you all. <laughs> yes, I'll come and should, should we list off our sponsors? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. I don't think we could. We'd leave someone off and and inevitably piss someone off. <laughs> of course. I've been able to cuss on this podcast because I know that my parents are not going to listen to it. And because it's not on PBS. I'm going to send it to your mama. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'll send, send the F word. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I'll, se- I'll send it to your, your sisters, and then they can just tell your mama what was on it. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love your dad, though. Um, my dad is a—Cynthia's right. He's <laughs> hilarious in his own <laughs> peculiar way, and the— Two years ago, I won this James Beard Personality Award, and I called my dad because he seems to get more out of that kind of thing than anyone else. He likes it. Oh, he loves it. He loves it. So I called him. I was in the airport on the way home, and I'm like, Dad, um, I won last night. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, now, what else can you win? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he is so proud. He is. He's so very proud of you. He is. It feels so good to to make my parents proud. I made my dad really proud. My mom still has some things she's like for me to do better. She seems to be happier with your hair these days, though. I came home about a month ago, and she's in my kitchen, and she's standing there, and she looks at me, and she's looking at me really, you know, for a long time. and She's eyeing you. Yeah, she's eyeing me. And she comes over right next to me and takes her hand 
and pats me under the chin with the back of her palm and says, you look good. You're losing that. Talking about my double chin. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing better than a mama to make you feel good about yourself. Oh, my gosh. I know. (laughs) (laughs) She's hard to please, man. She is. She is. We've got so many good moments with her throughout the season, so... One of with my favorites. Her complaining is, about your food. Yes. Criticizing it. That was at Christmas. Yeah. Was, before the Christmas parade. Exactly. As you go out to wave at all your fans or non fans, depending on who comes to the Pink Hill Christmas parade. That was a fun experience, though. Um, very Americana. Well, you have had so many strange experiences since <laughs> all this has started. Really? Yes. Yeah. And. We've been able to capture them, which is... What I hate the most, or the most unpleasant thing, is when you tell me something that you did that was amazing and we missed it, that pisses me off. <laughs> well. <laughs> My gosh darn it, Vivian. Yeah, that... Um, <laughs> but, you know, it ha- it's hard to have, and I'm not complaining, it's just have every professional success and failure kind of documented. documented. For everyone to see? Yeah, and to go to events, you know, like... I know, with your camera with crew. With entourage. That can't be easy. And I know it's not easy to be y'all either in that situation. The crew. The crew, yeah. And... That's not always fun. You know, that moment of uncomfortableness or whatever, that moment that you kind of annoy someone, which I frequently do by pushing my way in... It's, I know that we're doing it because if I didn't do it, we wouldn't be there. We wouldn't capture it and we would have missed it. So I kind of ignore the, no, you can't come in here. Um, Don't film this. The way it makes you feel (laughs) when people don't want you there. (laughs) Yeah, I ignore those things or pretend like I didn't hear them. That's why wearing headphones works in my favor quite frequently. I I never thought about that. I can pretend like I didn't hear something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll never believe you from now on. Especially you, because I've got you mic. I hear everything you you say. You hear everything. Every time my stomach rumbles, every time I uh, go to the bathroom, (laughs) far too comfortable wearing a mic. Well, you forget it, and sometimes it ends in the toilet. Yes, yes. (laughs) That's okay. The cost of doing business. That happens every now and then. Trying to keep all the audio equipment going and making sure there's no technical difficulties there, plus keeping up with the story and things like that, That's was challenging to begin with, for sure. Because you do audio as well as direct. Is that typical on a production this size? or? I mean, I think n- not for a television show, for sure, but I think for... Independent documentary films, it probably isn't uncommon, mm-hmm. but definitely not in this world. I mean, you would have somebody who you hire specifically for that because you wouldn't want to be worried about interference on a microphone or, you know, how are you going to fix this lavalier that's not working or, you know. The things that you worry about. The things I worry about. That I say a little prayer each time we shoot, that please let this work. Your grandma's answering that. She's she's she definitely looks after me a lot. I think she's just glad you're praying. 
That's true. That's true. I think she'd love for me to pray for other things, though. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> or never. Never. <laughs> well, we probably should wrap it up because you've got an event tonight. Yeah, i got to go cook. So that hasn't changed. No. <laughs> you still have to go and cook. Yes. Yeah. You're um, a TV star, a full-fledged celebrity, and you still have to go and schlep food. Yeah, because I am never satisfied with the way other people do it. Is that common for chefs in your position to still be the one in the kitchen doing the work? I don't think so. I don't want to take anything away from anyone who is, but... It's probably uncommon. I think it's uncommon, and I think most chefs who have shows have a culinary team. Well, when we started, you worked in the restaurant every single night. Every single night and every single day. And every single day. And when we filmed, we would film sometimes on Sundays, and we shot those cooking demos, and I did all the prep work and all the backup prep work. You had no assistant. And I had no assistant, and... Um, and then we would turn off everything and leave some things off, and Ben would blow a gasket because the freezer had been left off. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you and that damn show. <laughs> Have we at least, are we not the damn show anymore? No, now we? Ben's like, you're still making the show, right? Right? <laughs> you're going to film the opening of Benny's, right? Right? <laughs> I'm glad we're not as much of a hassle anymore. That's good. Well, you know, when you're doing something that it's not clear that it's going to pay off in any way, yeah. and it's a big old pain in the ass, Yeah, it's like, it's really easy to get frustrated. Yeah. Um, and there was no reason for anyone to believe that what we were doing would have legs. No. <laughs> I still feel like we're going to wake up and it would all have been a dream or a nightmare, one or the other. I but. think a dream. <laughs> I want to say, and I know this is going to sound cheesy, but one of the best parts about making the show for me has been the friendships that I've forged, Yeah, both with you and Josh and Margaret and Jen and Charlotte and, and Rex. And, you know, it's... Um, I've always been a person, I know you're not supposed to be friends with the people you work with. I know this. <laughs> but I've always only worked. and Well, we don't have time for friends outside of work. That's the only thing we do is work. Is work. So if you don't have friends at work, you're friendless. Right. And I love, I love friendships and I love making people laugh and I love, you know, laughing. That's, I didn't and, know you were that damn funny when we started. You are really funny. Because I didn't have any self-esteem. Okay. I would think about stuff that I wanted to say, but I wouldn't say it. Now you can't stop me. I know. <laughs> Shut that woman up. Yeah, really. I, I actually get on my own nerves now. <laughs> no. But anyway, I love you, Cynthia. Love you too, Vivian. So let's hope that we can do a repeat. I think we can. We I can make something even better. Yes, we can. Let's do it. No, you figure out how. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go have some more nightmares and try to figure it out. Bye, people. Watch A Chef's Life Season 5. Yeah. Airing now. Now. This is Elia Einhorn, and you've been listening to the TalkHouse Podcast. Head over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe, and while you're there, rate and review. Every time you do, it helps someone else find the podcast. Today's episode was recorded by John Plymail and mixed by Mark Yoshizumi. 
Till next time.